our Ridge Point Church. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. If you would, I want you to stand up with me real quick. Uh, we're going to do this. We just sung a song about how long to look on the face of the one that I love. And, and a lot of times when we come to church, we kind of sing through songs or hear someone singing through songs. And, and we miss that, that idea that, God, that's our desire this morning is we long to look on your face of the one that I love. I want to be in your presence. And, and so we're just going to pray for that right now. And then I'll let you go ahead and be seated. Let's, let's pray together. Uh, Father, I thank you for this very idea that we can be in your presence, that we can gather together with, with other people. Some maybe believe in the same thing as us. Maybe some that are c- coming as uh, seekers that are having questions, God. But I, I thank you that we can gather together, lift up the name Jesus. God, I pray through everything this morning that he would be honored, he would be glorified, and that, God, we would lift him up. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We're kicking off a new series this morning, a series called The Table. That's why we have all the stuff all over the place. And, and, and we're going to get into that in just a second. But before we get there, I have to share this, and I asked permission to do this. Uh, but actually, and I, I said I wouldn't tell who, who did this, but an RPCer uh, that, that comes to church here posted a picture on social media this week, and the picture looks something like this. And that's the picture they posted. And, and underneath of that, they said this. Everybody's like CrossFit this, healthy food that, just ran 92 miles. I'm like, where's the cream? And, and we see that and we, un- we understand that. Even people would say, that's me, I'm, I'm running and I'm doing a CrossFit or whatever it is. Even people who are, who are healthy know, and everyone's like looking back at him right now. <laughs> and trying to give it away. I was trying to be all nice about it and discreet. But, but someone posted this picture and, 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 and I said, I understand that, man. Because even people who are trying to be healthy and who are trying to be fit say the reason why eating healthy is such a challenge is because food tastes so good. Like all kinds of food. I was driving into work this morning. I was kind of thinking through the message and and getting excited about the message. And even as I was kind of thinking through this introduction, I said, you know what would be really good right now? A Krispy Kreme donut. And I'm not talking about the kind you can get for like $5.99 at the grocery store where they've been in a box for a couple of days. I'm talking about go to Lakeland, go to the Krispy Kreme store where like the glaze is just dripping over all of the donuts. And it's like cascading out of the donuts. And you get them, they're all hot. And they taste so much different. I'm like, dude, I could go right now, drive to Lakeland, get some Krispy Kreme donuts, and still be here in time for church. You see, we love food, and food comes in many, many different varieties. And, and for a lot of us, we like different varieties of food. And, and maybe right now as we're talking, you're like, J.J., why are you talking about food? I skipped out on breakfast, and it's still early in the morning, and lunch is still a long way away. And maybe you're already thinking that through, and you have lunch plans. Maybe you're out to lunch, get some barbecue or a hamburger. Or maybe even thinking through, because there's lots of different flavors of food and maybe different ethnic foods, and you want to have some, some Chinese food or some Italian food or German food, or, or my children are Thai, and when, when they first came to live with us, one of the things the, the, the people had, had, adoption people had told us is, you know, let them get to know some of their you know, the ethnicities and bring them up, kind of understand their culture a little bit. And so we're like, all right, we're going to take them out to Thai food. That seems like a good idea, and they were really, a lot younger. So we took them out to get Thai food. They we're going to show them their culture a little bit. They'll be excited about this. We got there, and they start tasting it, and they said, can we have pizza? Like, literally, that was their response. And, and, and so, like, we get that. We know we love food, and everyone, everyone loves different types of food. And the good thing is God actually knew that. Uh, throughout the Bible, we see many, many, in fact, over 20 different types of foods mentioned. Some of them are, are meat, some of them are, are grains and, and, and nuts and, and uh, oils and all these different foods. In fact, the first miracle Jesus ever performed is changing the water to wine. Oh, another miracle he performed was to feed 5,000 people with a couple of fish and, and five loaves. And, and we see that food was a big deal even to God because God knew food was a big deal to us. And so this series we're going to be talking about 
sitting at a table. But it's not just about sitting at a, at a table, a generic table. But this table right here is going to represent for us, for this whole series for the next four weeks, this table is going to represent for us our church. It's an analogy for the church. And each of these chairs at the table represent a different spot in life where people are when it comes to their relationship with Jesus. And so we're actually going to go around the table throughout this series. The first week, what we're talking about today is those people who are sitting in this seat. And this seat represents a mature believer, someone who's really grown in their faith. They're very excited. They're very passionate. And they've kind of come around the table, and they now occupy a spot of both feeding themselves and a spot of service to everybody else at the table. And so today we're going to tackle the idea of being a mature believer and then coming up very shortly, we're going to be covering the person who's in this chair. And, and it's not always that clean. Uh, sometimes people are kind of in between chairs or in transitional spots. But for the most part, trying to fit this into three chairs, you have the spot of the mature believer. The spot of the person who's sitting here is a person who's a new believer and a growing believer. Now, I will say this. When I say a new believer, it doesn't mean necessarily that they just started following Jesus. But in terms of where they're at in their growth they still occupy this chair. So some people might have been, man, they accepted Jesus 20 years ago, but they've never really grown in their faith enough to occupy this chair. And so they're still in the spot of being a new or a growing believer. And then the third chair is, is the chair of the person who's an investigator. They're here and maybe they're coming to church and they're saying, I'm not even sure what I believe about this whole God and Jesus thing, but I'm willing to come in and I'm willing to sit in and I'm willing to listen. Now, I know a lot of people that they go to churches, and I know a lot of pastors and churches that think this way. They think if we could just have a church full of mature believers, it would get rid of all of the drama, it would get rid of all the conflict, it would get rid of all of the stuff. If I could just have a, a room full of mature believers, my church would be very content. If you've ever been to a church like that before, it's the farthest thing from the truth. Sometimes the people who seem like they're mature believers, you get them all in a room and they're fighting and there's animosity and all of that stuff. But a lot of people think if we just had a, a room full of mature believers, we would be set as a church. But I'm here to say if this is ever where we arrive to as a church, if we think, man, we have a church of mature believers, everyone's happy, everyone's getting along, we have failed in our mission, we have become stagnant, and at some point that is going to cost us dearly. Instead, our goal as a church should be to constantly have a third of the people be in this chair. A third of the people is coming saying, hey, I'm not sure about this thing, but I had a friend of mine that invited me to church, and they told me they need to check, uh, that I need to check this out. And so I'm coming here to investigate the claims of this. I'm not sure about this, but I'm willing to sit in and listen. And for a lot of people occupying this chair, and it's going to take us a few weeks to get there, but for a lot of people that occupy this chair, they're willing to come in week in, week out to really investigate what it is we're talking about, to investigate whether it is we're authentic about the way we present ourselves, whether it's volunteers in the church, whether it's our children's ministry, whether it's what we do from the stage. People are willing to come and investigate, but we want 33% of our church filled with people that are investigating the claims of Jesus. We want 33% of our church filled with people that are kind of in between, saying, I've, I've accepted Jesus, I'm starting to follow him, and I want to see growth. I'm not there yet, but I want to see growth. And so I'd consider myself in the process of growing. And then we want 33% of our church occupying this chair. And this chair this morning represents the life of the mature believer. And now, as we say this, I want you to understand this, because ultimately, once we occupy a chair... The idea is never that we stagnate in that chair. 
the idea is that at some point we want everyone moving around the table. Because if we just take some basic numbers this morning, say that, say that we go to a church and there's 100 people in the church, there's 100 adults in the church, and if, if we have a healthy balance, 33 of those adults are, are mature believers, 33% of those adults, 33 of those adults are, are growing Christians, and 33% of, or 33 of those adults are now investigators. One, we don't even know what happened to him, but 33, 33, and 33. We want that to be the balance that's there. But at some point, our goal is that the person who occupies this chair says, I have been feasting on this food long enough. It's time for me to start to mature in my faith, and I need to move over to this chair. And if we could arrive at a spot as a church where the people who are occupying this chair say, it's time for me to start to, to navigate my faith a little bit better. It's time for me to get a little bit more serious about this. Then I move from this chair to this chair. And if 33 people move from this chair to this chair, and we now have 66 people that are mature in their faith, that are growing in their faith, and they're starting to fulfill the responsibility of saying, I want to be fed, but I also want to serve the people at the other tables then eventually as we start to balance out the numbers again, we have 66 people here, 66 people here, and 66 people that we start inviting the church. And that's how we start to see not just the church grow. I think most of us would say, man, I want to see our church grow. I want to see exciting things happen. But more foundational than that is I want to see the kingdom of God grow. And that if, if we're doing our, our job, if we're moving across the, the different chairs of the table, and I get to a spot of maturity I realize that part of my calling now as a mature believer is I need to continually be fed, but I also need to look for opportunities to serve. I need to look for opportunities to serve the person seated in this chair, and I need to look for opportunities to invest in the person seated in this chair. As we do that, we realize different people require different levels of help. Again, if we're using the table as an analogy, if I look at my family, as my family grew up, now we adopted our first three children when they were a little bit older. Karen was four years old. When Karen came to live with us, uh, the boys were a little bit older. They could kind of take care of themselves for the most part at the dinner table. But Karen, if we're having some sort of meat, we'd have to cut up the food for her. We'd have to take better care of making sure that she was fed properly because she was four years old, whereas the boys are growing up, and especially now as they're older. Jahida's 20 years old. For the most part, all we have to do is prepare food. Sometimes he even does that himself, and they're starting to learn to feed themselves. But the younger they are, the more supervision they require. And then we bring Zach in the middle of that mix. And it goes from not needing to cut up food, but needing to provide everything for him. And, and this past week, we actually started putting him for the first time. He got up to four months old. They said, okay, now I can start giving him solid food, which of all the food that I said we like the flavor of, the peas that are rolled up and that, that baby stuff. I don't know how anybody likes the flavor of that, but we started feeding him that for the first time. And for that supervision for that, it is we need a, a, like a plastic bib that would like cover him from head to toe. Like it's getting all over the place. And, and for a baby like that, they need more supervision. They need more care. And you start to feed him. You start to provide for him. You realize, man, that when it's coming to Zach, he is totally relying upon us as parents to make sure that he is fed. Well, if we're mature in our faith, we have to realize there are people in our lives right now that they're totally relying upon us feeding them. And if we sit here and we shirk our responsibility and say, that must be for somebody else because it's not for me. There must be someone else that's better equipped, especially if we've been walking with Jesus for some length of time, then we're missing that we ourselves have responsibility in this venture. So I want to talk this morning about people occupying this chair 
the chair of a mature believer. And, and when I say that, it's not that we get cocky and say, look at me, I'm a mature believer. In fact, that's very opposite of what it means to be a mature believer. Most people who I met who I would say fit into this category, if you walked up to them and said, man, I, I'm, I'm, I just look up to you, I'm, I'm proud of you for being a mature believer, they'd say, me? Are you crazy? That's somebody else, it's not me. And yet we see by the way they conduct their lives that they're doing the very things necessary to be considered a mature believer. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to get into this this morning. But before we do that, when we talk about the different types of food, uh, God is, is, is mentioning these different foods throughout Scripture. You know, go ahead and open up 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But in Luke chapter 15, verse 23, it says this. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us celebrate and, and, and eat. And let us eat and celebrate. And, and the idea behind that is actually the story of the prodigal son, and he's returned, and, and there's a celebration. He says, let's kill the fatted cat, calf, and let's eat to celebrate. If that's what it means to celebrate is we get to kill, kill a cow and go ahead and eat, then we should celebrate like every day because we love this idea of food. I know some people that are vegetarians. I say, Listen, I love you. I don't know how you do it. Like there's so many good meats that are out there. I don't know how you do that. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to get into this this morning. And Paul is actually writing to a church here. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church. And, and the church, just like most churches, is full of different people from different backgrounds. But in particular, the church at Corinth is struggling with the idea of maturity. In fact, he has to write them two times that we know of in Scripture to talk about their behavior. And inference from what we read in Scripture, he wrote to them probably two more times to say, hey, there's a lot of issues. I'd keep having to write to this church about these things that are going on. And so here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, at the very beginning of this, he lets into this. And he says, listen, I want to talk to you for a second about what it means to be mature, particularly be mature in your faith. And so 1 Corinthians 2 Verse 6 says this, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So he says among the mature, the people in your church that we consider mature, we want to start to impart to them wisdom. Now Paul's writing as a missionary that helped plant churches all over to help plant churches like this. And he says as a missionary or as pastors working together, we want to start to impart wisdom to those people who are mature. But as I talk about wisdom, it's not typically what the world thinks of as wisdom. Because he says, the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, that stuff is doomed to pass away. Last week, as we wrapped up our previous series, we talked about that if we sort for ourselves treasures here on earth, those treasures fade away. They can be stolen. They can be destroyed. We don't want to sort for ourselves treasures like that. But instead, we sort for ourselves treasures in heaven. And here Paul's writing saying the same thing can happen with the wisdom of this age or rulers of this age that when we start to think that that is what it means to be mature, when we start to think that all we have to do is fill ourselves with secular thinking and, and, and the way the world seems to be going right now as, as people, and we can do that, we can understand culture without embracing culture. But when we do that, when we fill our heads with just the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, those, those things are quick to pass away. And so Paul says, here's what I want to start to impart to people who are mature believers. I want to start to impart a spiritual wisdom. Verse 7 says this, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. He says, I don't want them to, to be feasting on earthly wisdom and the stuff they hear just from their friends and from their peers and what seems to be the prevailing thought of the day but instead, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. 
One of the coolest things as we approach Scripture is that you could go right now back in our children's area and you could start to talk to children that are five and six and seven years old and say, hey, what do you think it means to, to, to follow Jesus? And they could explain in very clear and vivid detail that Jesus died on the cross to forgive their sins. And the message of the gospel is, is so simple that a child can understand it. And yet it is so complex that some of the world's greatest thinkers have spent their whole life trying to study this very topic out, the topic of the gospel. And they say, it is so complex and so complicated. I've spent the rest of my life studying this, and I still am only scratching the surface of understanding what it really means. And so here Paul is writing, saying, we are trying to impart as best we can, because we also are struggling and trying to understand all of this. We're trying to impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. See, the very beginning of time, God knew that we were going we to fall, that we are going to need uh, a redemption, we are going to need a Savior. And so from the very beginning, God has said, here's redemption's plan. I'm going to send my son to die in the place of all of us who have made mistakes. And then he says this in verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He says there's rulers in this age. If they had understood the hidden mysteries of God, if they had understood these things, then when they had encountered Jesus face to face, you see, if you look throughout the Old Testament, you see the idea that God had had a master plan. He realized because of the fall of man that there was needed to be redemption and that through redemption was going to come in one person, the Messiah, Jesus, when he came. And if these people who built themselves up to be religious leaders, if they had understood, or even the political leaders who built them up, themselves up, thinking, we know something. If they had understood the hidden mysteries of God, if they would understood God's redemption plan, then they would have looked at Jesus and understood him to be who he was. And so he says um, uh, that none of the rulers of this age understood this. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of God imagined, or the, or the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. He says that if the rulers of this age had understood, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. But they did because their eyes didn't see it. Though they thought they were perceptive, they weren't. And they missed some of the central truths of God. I think one of the hard things is as we see people rotate around the table, we start to see a maturity. When we see people who occupy this chair, we, sometimes it's hard to quantify how exactly we know how the, the person that occupies this chair. It's, it's hard to look at that and say, I know that person is a spiritual and a mature believer because he or she does these things. It's hard to quantify that, but we know it when we see it. Like, I couldn't come up with a list and say, here's some things at the end, we're going to talk about some signs of spiritual maturity. But how do I see that in the life of a person around me? I don't always know exactly the qualifications for that. But when I see a person who occupies this seat, I see the way they approach decisions. I see that they're saying, I'm not comfortable just accepting the way the world is going. But I want to start to think things through from a spiritual perspective. When I start to see that, I know it when I see it. Again, hard to quantify and say, well, does he have to do this and he have to do that? The Bible has some qualifications for sure. But when we're just looking at our friends and our peers, we don't always, it's not always that easy to, to understand what those qualifications are. But we know it when we see it. And when I see people who have, for months and years, occupied these chairs, and they're going through a process, but at some point they get stagnated, and they haven't gotten to this spot in their life, they're missing some of the secret things of God. They're starting to accept what the world is telling them. 
starting to say, well, this is just the way that it is. This is the way culture is going. And so we, we're fed that, that lie, and, and we said, okay, we're just going to brace up because that's what everyone's telling me, and I have to accept what culture is dictating. But when we start to put our thinking caps on as believers, when we start to say, okay, I really want to start to wrestle with this, then no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. God has prepared something bigger than anything else that we've ever comprehended for those who love him. Then in verse 10 it says this, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Over in Romans 8 it talks about that the Spirit of God searches the heart of man. And here it says the Spirit of God, God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So we have in Romans 8, God searches the human heart. And here in 1 Corinthians 2, God searches the, even the depths of God. Or the Spirit searches even the depths of God. And we see for us to start to have an understanding, for us to mature in our life, we realize it takes understanding Jesus died to, to take away our sins. He died to give us redemption and give us purpose and a hope. But it also takes for us to really understand this, it takes me surrendering as a person because God's Spirit is trying to search everything, even the depths of God. He searches my heart. He searches the depths of, 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 of God. And, and because that takes God's Spirit interacting with my life, for me to start to understand even the deep things of God. Spiritual people do spiritual things as they submit to the Spirit of God. Spiritual people do spiritual things as they submit to the Spirit of God. See, for a lot of us, we get caught up in the earthly wisdom. We do the same things over and over because that's just what everybody else does. And someone else did something, they got mad at it. So I'm just going to respond like they respond. I'm going to get mad because they got mad, and it must be how everyone responds. But if I'm spiritual, I submit to the Spirit of God in my life, and He is now forcing me, or He, or he, he is desiring at least for me, to start to want to do spiritual things in my life. Verse 11 then says, For who knows a, man's pers- who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person? which is in him, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of the person? And so because of that, no one can comprehend the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. So we want the Spirit of God interacting with our life and understanding that so that, in verse 12, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Here's where the rubber starts to meet the road. Here's where this thing starts to make sense for us. Because our desire in our life is for the Spirit to start to interact with us. For us to have growth in our life, we have to be submissive to the Spirit working in our life. And and so we say, okay, I want to understand this. I want to get this. And he says, we have not received the Spirit of the world. But instead, we and, and the response there is, but the Spirit who is from God. So we've not received the Spirit of the world, but we have received, today if we are believers, we have received the Spirit of God. Now, if there is someone who's occupying the first chair... If you're here this morning, you're saying, yeah, I'm investigating, but there's some of the stuff that I don't fully understand. I think this is one of those concepts that sometimes you're like, that seems weird to me. Because even as we approach it sometimes, we're like, how does that work? I've been going to church for a long time. I don't fully understand that. But what Paul is writing here and what God is trying to convince us of is that when we become a believer, when God interacts with us, when God changes our life, one of the things that happens is the Spirit of God takes up residence in our life. And he starts to do things like convict us when we've done something wrong. He starts to do something like trying to urge us to do the things that are right, to go out and to be able to to share the gospel, to be able to share our faith, to be able to to, to love people around us. That when we are doing something wrong, and we're a believer and we do something wrong, and we start to feel badly about that, 
often that's the Spirit convicting us of the very thing we did because the Spirit of God comes and dwells inside of us as believers. And so he says, we've not received the Spirit of the world, but instead we receive the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So he says, what happens when we, when we become a believer is we, we try to reject the world's thinking. And we say, now I've now surrendered to the Spirit of God in my life. I've surrendered to him trying to lead us, trying to guide us, trying to provide for us as a family. And as I do that, I realize he, he, that we can now start to understand the things freely given us by God, and he is starting to change my life. Now, here's the challenge in this, because if I see the Spirit of God interacting with me, if I see him changing who I am, then it necessitates me at some point saying, I want to grow in wherever I am at. I want to go from one chair to the next to the next. And really, that's our goal as a church. Our goal as a church is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus. We want to lead people in a growing relationship with Christ. Now, my question is, when we begin, and I want, I want like an audience, uh, audience response on this one. When we say we want to lead people in a growing relationship with Christ, who is that talking about? All people, everyone, not just one or two people. Our goal as a church is to lead all people in a growing relationship with Christ. Now, we sometimes, we, the last, latter part of that mission is by being a church on church people love to attend. And so sometimes I think we can kind of take it and say, well, our focus as a church is on this person in this chair because a lot of the environments we set up are specifically catered to people who have questions. And I agree that is our purpose. But our purpose is not just to lead them in a growing relationship with Christ. That's part of the purpose. In fact, I would propose that's 33% of the purpose for us. But 33% of the purpose is to see people who are sitting in this chair start to grow. And 33% of our purpose is to see people who are in this chair continue to grow. I love the fact that when people think about Ridgepoint Church, the thing they think about is, man, my friend who has never gone to church, who's really rough around the edges, this church was made with that person in mind. I love that fact. But here's what I'm going to say about that. If that was you and you've been going to church here for three years, and you're still occupying that chair or maybe sliding over to the second chair, and you still consider yourself rough around the edges, if our purpose as a church is to lead all people in a growing relationship with Christ, and you've been here for three years, or you've been here for five years, and that process hasn't started to happen, then we as a church have not accomplished our purpose in you. And you also have not accomplished that purpose. If you've accepted the purpose of Ridgepoint Church, I want to lead people in a growing relationship with Christ, and I want to be led in a growing relationship with Christ. And if we're still stagnated in any one of these positions, if we're sitting here and we've been a believer for 15 years, and we still consider ourselves very new to this whole thing. We don't understand it. We're really not embracing the, the, the cause of Jesus. Well, then at some point, that mission in us has stagnated. And we say, even though we believe it's our mission as a church to lead all people in a growing relationship with Christ, to move them from one chair to the next to the next, then that purpose in us isn't being fulfilled. And our goal is to see that happen. Our goal is that every single person that comes here, whatever chair they occupy, that there is continued growth. And that whenever we get to the third chair, that's not the end. We're going to get to that at the end of the message. That's not the end. Growth continues in our life because we've never matured to a spot of being totally mature here on earth. And so Paul is writing saying the Spirit of God is, is living inside of us. He's helping us to understand the things of God, to, to freely, those things freely given us by God. Not only do spiritual people 
do spiritual things as they submit to the Spirit of God, but also spiritual people learn spiritual truths as they listen to the Spirit of God. Verse 14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. The natural person, not us, but those people who are thinking naturally, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are not, because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. And then he says this in verse 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, speak to those who are mature, but we have the mind of Christ. That's, that's crazy for me to think about that we as, as believers today can have the mind of Christ in our life. But if we continue to allow the thinkings of the world and, and the way the world is going to dictate the way we live our life, then we're not surrendering the Spirit of God. We're not learning from the Spirit of God. But if I say, God, I'm, I'm going to reject those thoughts. I'm going to reject the way. Just because the world is saying this is the way it is doesn't mean it's necessarily the way it is. And I want to start to look for a deeper meaning. I want to look for spiritual truths, not just in my life. I want to look for spiritual truths in the world around me. And I want to think the way that Jesus thought. So here's the deal. We just had a team. We're going to hear from them next week. Go to Harbicol in the Dominican Republic. And when you're on a mission trip, you realize, man, I, I better be occupying this chair. And maybe it's just for a week that I do that. But when, I, when I'm in this chair, I know when I go into a specific area, especially an area where they've not heard a whole lot about Jesus, that, that I am going now representing Jesus to this world. And it changes the way that I do life. And, and it's easy for us to say, I'm going to take a week away. And, and when I'm away, I'm not working and I don't have other obligations. I don't have other responsibilities. And a lot of times it means, man, my cell phone doesn't work because it costs like $85 for me to send a text message. So I'm not doing that stuff. And I don't have TV. I don't have all that stuff. So for that week, I'm fully surrendered to God in my life. I'm fully relying on his spirit because I'm scared. I'm out of my comfort zone. And we start to see God work. I was talking to some of those missionaries this week, and I said, it's almost like for a student, when they go to camp in middle school or high school, man, they have this spiritual high because they've been with God all week and because everything else has been blocked out of their life, and they start to experience spiritual depth for a week. And then sometimes it's gone and sometimes it lasts. When we surrender to the Spirit of God, we say, God, I want you now to take control of my life. I want every decision I make to be captive by you and to you. God, I, I want you to have complete control. I want you to have surrender because my goal as a mature believer now is that, God, everything I do, would, that I'm, I'm discerning, I'm spiritually discerning, I'm filtering all these things to this question of, God, what would you think I should do here? Or what is the wise decision for me to make? And the moment I start to do that, I start to see wisdom multiplied in my life. I start to see some of those errors that maybe I would have walked into those problems earlier because I was hot-headed, because I was mad, I got really frustrated with the situation, and I just jumped in without really thinking this through, spiritually discerning in, in, in any nature. I just jump into this, and I start to attack this, and, and all of a sudden I would say, wait a minute, what happened to the way that I was thinking just a little while ago? But God, instead now I want to learn from your spirit. I want to surrender to your spirit. I, I, want, I, want, to, I want to think spiritual things. I want to do spiritual things. I want to make an impact. Because ultimately... If our goal is to occupy this chair and the table, there are two things that have to happen. We need to be spiritually discerning. We need to look out for God's spirit to teach us, to convict us, to, 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 to mold us and, and shape us and change us. But there's two things that have to happen when I sit at this chair. First of all, when I sit at this chair, I am still dining. I am still eating. See, a person who sits at that chair, and it is a chair of service, 
But when I sit at that chair and I think all I have to do is serve and I don't have to feed any longer, I become malnourished. See, I see people and they've gone to church for a long time and they've arrived at a spot of being kind of spiritually discerning and they're excited, they're passionate, and they come to church because they're involved in ministry and sometimes in a volunteer capacity, they're involved in ministry, but all they ever do is serve so much so that they're doing this and they're doing this and they're doing this and they stop at some point being fed. And I've seen this over and over when people get into that frame of mind. They think, well, I've arrived. I kind of understand this all. I've heard all this before. Let me just go and serve. Well, eventually they become frustrated. They become burnt out. They become stagnated in their faith. And at some point, either they drop it all together and say, this is too much, I'm burnt out. Or they move from this chair to this chair. And they're thinking, man, I used to be spiritually discerning. I used to get excited about what God is doing. And now that passion is gone. Why? Because I stopped feeding myself or I stopped being fed. There are a lot of exciting ministries, a lot of areas we can be involved in, but if we ever get to a spot where we're not being fed on a continued basis, it's going to lead to a spot of stagnation in our life. The flip side of that is people who feed constantly but never serve. If I do that, unlike the person who serves but is never being fed, they become malnourished. If I'm feeding all the time and I'm never serving, well, then I become fat and lazy. Because this seed is supposed to be a seed of service. I'm supposed to be watching out for the people that are around me. When, when I come in, I say, God, I know I need to sit down and I need to eat. But I also am watching out for, for my children in my life. I'm watching out for people that you taught me to invest in in my life. That they might take different levels of responsibility. Over here, I might have Zach, and he's still at the very beginning. He's a, he's a baby, and i got to feed him food. And sometimes there's, there's people who are asking a lot of questions. You say, I don't know about Jesus, and it requires a lot of detail. And over here, maybe there's a, a guy, he's, he's beyond this chair, he's kind of in between. And Jaheed, now 20 years old, he's kind of feeding himself. And the most I have to do with him is say, Jaheed, don't forget to take your plate to the dishwasher. But at some point, if we are mature as believers, we are both feeding on a constant basis. Because if I don't feed, I become malnourished. But we're also looking for chances to serve. Because if I don't serve, I become fat and lazy. The problem with the church that says, I want a, a room full of mature Christians. The reason why that never works is because if we have a room of mature Christians, we're not serving anyone because we all think we've arrived. And then we, become all, we all become fat and lazy and we fight about stupid things like the color of the carpet because we all want to have an area where we feel comfortable, where everything is fit to our liking. Instead, we say, God, I am here now to serve. God, I need to be fed on a constant basis. I need to continue to grow but God, part of my maturity as a believer is for me to look for opportunities to disciple people around us. And it's crazy we can go on a mission trip, get all excited and say, man, we need to start to share faith with that kid because he's never heard about Jesus. But then we come here, we have a chance to interact and we become afraid to be, even be able to do that in a loving way, but be able to do that because what are people going to think about me? A, spiritual, a spiritually discerning person says, I do care what people think about me still. I understand that. But ultimately, if I love and care about them enough, I'm going to, as best I can, as lovingly as I can, and submitting to God's spirit in this, but I want to be able to share with them the, the essential truths of God, be able to share with them even the deep things of God as, as they become old enough and, and prepared enough for that. Because our goal as believers, as mature believers, should be let me as much as I can feed, continue to feast, but also continue to serve. Continue to feed, continue to serve, continue to feed, continue to serve. Because God, through that, we are seeing your table be multiplied. And ultimately, that is our goal. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for uh, just the way that you see fit in our life to bring about growth. Uh, God, for everyone else, if we ever get to a spot of stagnation anywhere on this journey, I pray you would convict us of that right now. Uh, God, if we got to a spot where we were growing for a little bit and we kind of stopped, we uh, just became stale with where we were at, God, I pray you'd convict us and change us, that your spirit would minister to us and, and show us the way we need to go for there to be more growth and sustained growth. And God, for the person who today is investigating, not even sure about the plans, God, I pray even today your spirit would illuminate to them truth, the essential truths of who Jesus is. And for God, those today who maybe occupy that, that third seat, the seat of maturity, I pray that that's not a haughty position to be in. I pray that we're not proud of that position, but we realize that position comes with a, a, an insane amount of responsibility to continue to be fed, to continue to grow, but also to be able to serve the people around us with love, the way that you loved us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, a couple of real quick things as we get ready to leave. We talked about these last couple of weeks, but just this, this series is strategically placed as we get ready to kick off. It's kind of a new school year, and with that kind of a lot of new things happening at church. And a couple of things kind of get that thing kick-started. First of all, tonight, Jeff already mentioned this with status. We're going to share, again, some of the changes that have happened over the last couple of weeks, some things we're going to be doing with Bloodhound Barbecue coming up. I would really encourage you, if you at all can be, be here tonight for status, we're going to gather together, we're going to eat together, we're going to sing some songs together. We're actually at the end of status, going to celebrate communion together as a church, kind of uniting around the vision. So if you can be here again, 5.30 tonight uh, for status. And the second thing is coming up in two weeks, and that is our Empower and Equip conference. And, and this is a leadership conference for our church. It's for people who are in a position of leadership or people who want to be in a position of leadership. Maybe you're saying, oh, I need to grow. I need to move from one chair to the next in my journey. And part of that is me embracing the service of the church. Uh, for us to take the mission of the church beyond the walls of the church, it takes every one of us being a part. And so an Empower and Equip is going to be specifically for that. It's going to start off Friday night here. We're going to have dinner together, uh, catered in, and then we're going to have uh, some, some training time. We're going to train everyone together as a church saying, here's our vision. Here's some things we want to see people embrace. And the Saturday portion of that, you're going to have a chance to choose which breakout sessions you want to go to. You go to one, two, or three that morning and early afternoon. We're going to be going into our different ministry areas and saying, okay, how can we take this vision as a church and start to see it magnified in different areas? And so maybe if you're in an area like guest services and you say, our mission as a church is to lead people in a growing relationship with Christ, well, then how in guest services can we help bolster that mission? And so Empower and Equip is for everybody that wants to be part of it, uh, specifically in a position of leadership, but even if you're not and you want to be, I'd encourage you to sign up for that. Today is the last day to get it at kind of the early bird rate. It's $20, and that covers basically the cost of, of dinner and lunch and breakfast the next day, and then some material we'll have for you as well. So again, if you haven't signed up and still want to be able to do that, you can do that in the kiosk back in the back. If you have questions about any of that, uh, talk to us tonight. We're going to be pushing that a lot during status as well. Uh, if not, have a wonderful day.